Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Jarrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cameron Ayine Elin Maharet Jarrell, aka Tranos. Say it with your whole chest, or you will find yourself staring down the barrel of a gawk. That's girl cock. This is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that just threatened you with a gawk 9mm straight to your face. Um, Today's episode is a little bit of an opening up for me about my past before transitioning how i coped with dysphoria and it was not a very healthy way you always hear like some some trans people kind of talk about addiction stories and like what happened to them and my addiction story is pretty strange to be totally honest with you i have an aversion to taking drugs because of my parents Uh, So taking drugs as a means to get away from dysphoria was a last ditch effort for me. Around the ages of 26, like dysphoria was unbearable to me. Like I couldn't even hide it from people anymore. I was um, constantly critiquing my own body in open forums. I was constantly visibly uncomfortable with mirrors and pictures i strayed away from them most of the time and yeah like having a job like professional wrestler that becomes pretty hard when i was 26 i decided i wanted to go and like talk to a therapist about it and i thought oh yeah this is going to be a healthy thing for me so i went and spoke with a therapist i'm not going to say their name they were terrible um they tried to talk me out of um acknowledging my trans identity multiple times And in doing so, I was given a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. And for my anxiety, I was prescribed Valium. (laughs) And people were like, oh, that's the gateway for you. That was the thing that got you to start doing drugs. Yes, it was. I was prescribed right out the gate the highest dose of Valium that you could have. And it wasn't kind it wasn't even monitored like there was no blood tests there was nothing like the doctor just was like here's a drug so you will stop telling me that you're trans and you'll feel more comfortable out in public with this body that you don't feel comfortable in it ever so i started taking diazepam in secret like i didn't really tell anybody what was going on i thought oh as long as i follow the directions i should be fine now you shouldn't be uh prescribed diazepam for long periods of time longer than four to six weeks i was on it for like i don't know until i was 32. and the reason why i say it was an addiction because i definitely wasn't using it correctly like it got to a point where it wasn't working fast enough uh i didn't feel the effects of it anymore i started isolating myself uh, from people who I thought were my friends and and people who I thought were my family. I just started isolating myself. There was a craving for it because there was this calming effect when I first started. 
Now, again, it's kind of hard to, like, think about because it was a, a time where I was deliberately harming myself. I was, um, at one point, uh, I had become the upstate professional wrestling champion, the upstate New York, like, NWA New York or NWA upstate champion. And I was so disillusioned with my form in public that it would cause me panic attacks. So there were points in my career where I would just hide in bathrooms and snort large amounts of Valium. Right, sounds terrifying, right? Let's talk about the mindset that I was in. I was aware that I was always being viewed differently, always being treated differently for one thing or another. It was either uh, the, their perceived idea of my sexuality, their perceived idea of my emotions, their visual idea of what blackness was and how it is valued in their circles. So those things always were in my mind. They were always in the back of my mind. And it was just like, oh, another thing for them to other me for. So I was constantly trying to hide and there would be leaks. I remember one time I was standing out in front of a show in Buffalo and the promoter's wife had a purse that was the same as my phone. And I said something to her like, oh, shit, that, that, your, your, your purse is cute. Look, it matches my phone. And like my promoter looked me right in my face and was like, man, I always knew this motherfucker was gay. What a fag. Like and said this, like there were fans standing there and like and I tried to laugh it off and I couldn't. I went into immediate panic attack. So I ran to my car and like crushed up a Valium, which I could have just took with water or a soda or something like that. I crushed it up and I snorted it. And I felt, I felt like this weird out of body kind of calm. Like, and I think I kind of got stuck in it after years and years and years. I have real problems with tapping into my emotions now. And I think I've always had those problems, but it's extremely hard now. Um, yeah, I was, and, and, and here's the, 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 the end of the story. Let's get to the end of the story. I never went to rehab for this. I just stopped. The detox was insane. Like I sweat for three or four days. I was sick to my stomach. I was real irritable. It was I like, I mean, it's a benzo. So I was addicted to a benzo, but you never really hear anyone talk about like addiction to Valiums. Like I was sometimes popping four to like six Valiums a day. Like I, for all intensive purposes, could have died several times and it was all in lieu of being who I am. It was like the shorthand. It was the easiest way to not like have real conversations with people about what was going on with me because I completely to this day believe that no one cared. No one cared. I'm still seeing signs of it. Um, so with that being said, I've admitted to my addiction and I've admitted to the losses that I've got from it. Like there's been some physical and emotional loss. And I got myself clean off of it. I want to say like the clarity of being clean off of it when my friend uh, Sully, his, shout out to Sully, rest in peace, Sully. <clears throat> he died from an embolism. Uh, he had been trying to get clean from benzos and like um, Zanny bars and stuff like that. And he was doing real good. He was in the gym. 
he would talk to me every day and tell me like, hey, like you need to like do the same. You can get clean. Like you don't have to keep doing this shit. And I know that they're hurting you and stuff like that. But like you're a better person and you don't have to keep doing this to yourself. And he was working out every day, like sometimes excessively working out. Um, he lived off of monsters. And like, uh, I'm not sure what the story truly is. Uh, because a lot of people have kind of lied about the part they played in what happened. But, like, he was clean for about two months. And then he was kind of, like, bullied and pressured by several people around him to, like, buy drugs or come and do drugs. And I don't know what happened. I can't really speak to it. But he he succumbed to it. He 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 fell back in it was one one evening and his mother found him uh dead the next day and that was a real wake-up call for me because our lives were so parallel and people really didn't understand that how parallel they were me and sully hung out a lot of the time and would just kind of like trauma bond and play video games and talk about why we do drugs we didn't like do drugs together like that's not what we were doing but we talked about why we were constantly in in, in the need to feel numb and uh more than anything i think sully understood my transness before he understood I was trans if that makes any sense so with him passing away a large support system disappeared and not only was I shaken by the loss of support but just the loss of him he was like a really uh sincere and genuine person and he didn't have a problem with like shooting like straight with you at all. He didn't have that problem. He was always really truthful about what was going on in his mind and what he thought about you. And that is rare. Um, we spent a lot of time together and I I'm glad that we had those conversations that really rooted us in knowing that we were doing harm to ourselves. And it, it, with his last ditch effort, he tried as hard as he could to get away from it and it just couldn't. Me, on the other hand, fear, fear and loss is how I rehabbed myself from a really bad benzo, like a prescription addiction. Like I was able to get uh, volumes by the hundreds. My doctor was just giving me large bottles of it once a month, no matter how much I had left. Like she didn't, not once was my blood level checked, not once were, was my, um, Anything about my brain chemistry studied, nothing. She was just giving me drugs, like, because she just didn't want to hear what I had to say. And, like, I think one of the instructions was to make sure that I took one before therapy. I'm like, why would I? <laughs> it was almost like I was pushed into this addiction by a doctor because they didn't want to deal with the fact that brown people also feel pain. And addiction would have been easier to handle than trans identity. Um, why am I bringing this up? Why am I talking about this? I have been withdrawing from the wrestling company that I am currently working with because I am starting to feel the urge to, like, numb myself again. So there's a big show here in Rochester, New York, that's coming up on the 20th of May. And 
I was supposed to be booked against a friend. Uh, his name was Big Cat. That fell through. Um, that's not the thing that's like really pissing me off. I've spoke on my show about uh, Ron and Jordan Falco in the past. They're two like really, really shitty, racist, homophobic transphobes. And they have a history of being that. Uh, so much so that like there was this group of us that used to all kind of be best friends and we all kind of stopped talking to them because of the things that they would say and do at shows. Uh, I explained a couple episodes ago, Jordan, um, Ron's son, uh, posted a really like inflammatory, racist, transphobic meme on Facebook for the world to see. And like, I guess he forgot that he had trans friends and black friends and he allowed his uh, piece of shit friend, um, this dude named uh, Eric Everlast. He's a piece of shit. Um, you can look him up. There's like this botch match that he had versus Billy Gunn back in the early 2000s. Like he was garbage back then and he's garbage back now. He's a garbage wrestler and a garbage person in real life. Um, made some really hateful comments that named me specifically. I called them out. The friends that are really close to me called them out. Some of even blacklisted him. Um, my friend, uh, my friend Brody, uh, saw the things that he was saying and questioned him about it and questioned his son about it. And they had no real answers for him. So he cut them off. Like he totally was like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I don't want you around my wife. I don't want you around my kids. I don't want you around my house. I don't want to talk to you. Don't text message me anymore. We're done. I did the same thing. Like after trying to have a conversation with them and being gaslit because there's this thing that white racist transphobes do and it's like demand an education from you even though everyone's walking around with the library of fucking Athens in their pocket. All of a sudden they don't know about racism or uh, about actual facts. Like I had to explain to this grown ass man and his son that Fox News is not a news outlet and it's not something you should trust for information. I also had to explain what a hate crime was to these two pieces of shit. Now you hear how anxious and upset I'm getting while just mentioning it. Uh, this is the feeling that I used to have before doing drugs. So this big show's coming up in May. My match got canceled. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're putting me in. Uh, I worked super hard for this place. I'm not even on a poster, nothing like uh, my, my, my feelings are never taken into consideration there. And I'm like, why am I still working for this fucking place that doesn't give a fuck about me? And, and, and right when I'm like, oh, but it's because I helped build this thing and it, it, it ties me to the brothers that I did have that are no longer here. And it's a reverence thing for me to keep this thing alive. And at the end of the day, they booked Ron and Jordan Falco. Knowing that these two pieces of shit are racist as fuck, transphobic as fuck, and it's, there's no protection for anyone in the locker room like me. It just isn't. Like, there's no girls' locker room. There's no women's matches. There's no women's federal, like um, division. There's no women's titles. There's nothing. It's constantly having to be involved in a world of toxic men, and it makes me fucking furious like an anger that i have not felt since before i was introduced to benzos i bend over backwards i used to i'm not doing it anymore i used to bend over backwards for this place do all kinds of shit neglect my home be at this place working uh sometimes 45 50 hours a week 
like and barely getting paid like not even getting paid to be the trainer of this place and then i have to walk in and constantly be fucking a police for when i speak up about something and like i have bit my tongue so many times i'm not biting my tongue this time like you 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 purposefully booked two fucking racist and act like you didn't know that they were racist and transphobic we say these weird things in the community about what we won't tolerate. We won't tolerate racism. We won't to tolerate transphobia. We won't do this. We won't do that. And then when confronted with it, it, it has to be comfortable for you. Like, be, like the person who's being targeted, be damned. It has to be comfortable for you. If it makes money for you, fuck me, right? I think I'm delving into this and talking it out here to make a declaration that I will be held accountable for. I will not harm myself for the sake of making people comfortable anymore. I'm not going to start doing drugs again. I'm not going to soften the blow for anyone else. I'm not going to nullify my, my actual emotions chemically to make you feel comfortable. I'm going to say these things out loud. I'm saying them on the air. And if you have a problem with me saying them on the air and you would like to speak to me, you know how to find me. Surrounded. like, And these are people who used to call me their friend. And then I started remembering stupid things that used to happen to me all the time there that like, I would speak about and be in silence and realize there was a pattern. This pattern helped feed into my anxiety. Uh, like the fact that for years, a certain wrestler called me token to my face. And every time was corrected for it. Every last time, but continued to do it for years. And then the minute I got upset about it, everybody checked me for being a Debbie Downer at a party. So I went outside and I, I snorted an entire line of Valium, which could have killed me. I can't tell you how many times I've cried myself to sleep at night wondering why I don't fit in this band of wolves that I protected for 20 years. I'm not doing that anymore. I think uh, being really open about my past and being really open about how I dealt with things in the past will bring some illumination to those who think that I'm being aggressive currently for speaking up on things I used to harm myself in secret for. Maybe if you stepped outside of yourself for just a second and you thought about some of the dumb shit that you said or did to someone else just because they were different from you, uh, maybe, maybe that would help. I'm really upset about the booking at this big show. I'm 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 just as upset that like there's never any thought put into like storylines for me. There's never any real like recognition for the things that I've actually done for this place. It's only brought up when I'm mad about how I'm like one of the originals, how I'm still there, how I've been loyal the entire time. Loyalty has an expiration date now. Loyalty can be rescinded. I don't know what uh, avenue I'll take after leaving, but I'm pr I'm probably sure it won't be wrestling anymore. Like I'm so over the entire community being phony, fake, racist, misogynistic. <laughs> I'm 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 just tired of like how toxic it is, and how fake and false people in the locker room are to each other.
um, I jumped right in there <laughs> and I forgot. Let's go back and let's talk about what this episode has been brought to you by. It has been brought to you by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's episode song is brought to you by the band uh, Third Strike. There's a new metal band from like the early 2000s. I'd say around like 2003, 2004. Um, the, the song's name is Strung Out. Check it out. Uh, it is a song that I listened to on repeat when I wanted to make myself feel bad for being a secret drug addict. And the strain of choice, which we are going to be taking a hit of shortly, is a uh, shout out to Rochester, the lilac capital of the world. Uh, it is called Lilac Diesel. Bred by Ethos Genetics, Lilac Diesel crosses numerous genetics to bring an entirely new strain to the market. A silver lemon haze that has been crossed with forbidden fruit and also crossed with cherry pie gives off a citral glue to bring out the flavorful Kimmy strains. It has big buds, has complex terpene profile, and weighs in at a THC percentage of 22%. It is a hybrid. Go get that in here. I'm going to smoke some of that in a minute. Now let's get back on the ass. Um, I want to address this. I would like to say this in open forum to make sure that everybody understands how I'm going to respond to two racist transphobes being allowed into a locker room that I helped cultivate. I am not going to be nice about it at all. I don't want to be spoke to by either one of them. I don't want to share the same spaces as them. We're not going to kaffaw and laugh about old times. Stay the fuck away from me. There's a fucking genocide happening to brown, indigenous, uh, and trans people. And I just so happen to be brown and trans. And you would invite people who like willingly speak on like the destruction, the the death, the realness of trans people. You also want to invite these two piece of shit Fox News pundits in the spaces when they have like the I don't know, uh the gathered intellect of a Brussels sprout. Every time you call them on something, their answer is, well, I didn't know. I should do more research on that. It's that soft sell shit that they do after they said something with their whole chest. This dude, Ron Falco, gets on the internet and uses the word thug like we don't hear dog whistles. His drug addict, thieving, con artist son does the same. And the thing that hurts about it so much is I was around this kid when he was young. I looked at him and I thought, oh, he's going to be a great man, just like his dad. And then I realized in 2013, 2014, that they both were slowly taking their mask off. They were preparing to show everybody what they really were. And I used to ride with this man. We used to be in Canada all the time together. We used to work up and down the roads together. And this dude the whole time was a fucking racist. I'd hear it in the little dumb stories that he would tell. I think the last straw for me where I realized he was not a good person is when he told me about when he was deployed in the Marines and he watched a man beat a woman up and did nothing. It was funny to him. He thought it was hilarious. I was disgusted. I started withdrawing from him. 
who spends like the first 35 years of their life, 40 years of their life, hiding this kind of bias from everybody only to have a midlife crisis, lose everything and become a fucking lowly transphobe, racist, borderline Nazi. I'm not racist, but you say a lot of racist things. If you say racist things, people are going to call you racist. I'm not transphobic. I love you. No, you don't love me. You can't say these kind of things about trans people and then separate me from them. I'm not one of the good ones. Which I've heard from several white man wrestlers about my race. Oh, you're different from the rest. Like, so you think I'm going to sit here and watch you denigrate my people because you don't understand them or have an understanding of history? Shout out to your cousin for saying really harmful, fucked up shit about my mom after he, she died when he found out that she was a civil rights activist. And you doing nothing. Oh, you know why? Because the education system propped you up your entire life but also failed you, so you guys don't know what the Black Panthers are? Or you don't know about the Civil Rights Movement itself? You don't know about the Civil Rights Act of 1964? You don't know why those things happen? You think affirmative action is a benefit and not like a Band-Aid for like how much discrimination we had to deal with beforehand? Not to mention the fact that affirmative action, 54% of it benefits white women. So what the fuck are y'all talking about? You bring up these fucking things like there's some special interest benefit. Well, how come I don't have? Now, this is a, a almost 50-year-old man asked me, how come we don't have our own channel then? He thinks BET is a black television channel. One channel out of a thousand. One ch channel now out of millions of channels. And he pinpoints BET, owned by a white person, by the way. At the time, it was owned by a white person. It's also a brainwashing tool, but like he doesn't want to know that. He thinks that that's a benefit. Well, you have your own TV channel. Well, we have our own TV channel because y'all wouldn't let us be on TV for decades. Y'all wouldn't let us star in anything for decades. You stereotyped us for decades. Oh, well, what about college scholarships? Oh, so we don't know history anymore. A grown-ass man negates history. He doesn't understand that scholarships... There are scholarships for everything, for everything, but specifically they want to like border down on and like focus in on black kids get scholarships to college. But what do they have to do to get those scholarships to college? They have to like have great grades. They have to be out of trouble. They have to do all of these things. And the reason is because it's supposed to be bridging the disparity gap because lots of colleges weren't letting black people come to their college, even when they were doing the exact same thing as their counterparts. Sometimes these scholarships make you jump through hoops that don't even exist just to be in this college for somebody to bring up the fact that you got a scholarship, even though we don't understand that generational wealth was also taken away from us when we were made slaves. And then the 150 years afterwards, y'all did everything in y'all power to keep us from getting it. But why do I have to know these things and you not know all those things? He's also a man who would argue that like white privilege doesn't exist while demonstrating white privilege. Here's a white privilege for you, Ron Falco. White privilege is walking through your entire life and being able to be willfully obtuse, ignorant to a fault, and prosper from it, not to mention like a walking ball of mediocrity. You met a woman who helped you make a child and then you made another walking 
ball of mediocrity. White privilege is the ability to walk around knowing that the education system was built to prop you up, built to like edify you and embolden you. And it still failed because at the end of the day, while it was doing all of those things that made you dumb, it turned complex thought off. You don't even respect timelines. The fact that I had to explain all of those things to literally every white person involved in the situation so far, I've had to explain to them like the damage that this kind of shit do does to a person and how I've actually been treated the whole time they've been trying to call me their friend while also isolating me from everyone, treating me like I have like some fucking disease, not talking to me about the things that are actually going on around me, but blaming me for the things that they do. That's the shit that kind of makes you like feel like a little strung out. But since I pressed down on the gas so hard, let's like, um, let's roll into a nice little groove now. I'm going to smoke some of this weed. I'm going to hit some of this lilac diesel and try to calm myself down. Uh, if you hear click, click, cough, cough, be an adult. You listen to the show long enough. You know, I do drugs. Well, weed. <laughs> I smoke weed. I no longer do drugs. Let's take that hit. Let's go. Oh, shit. All right, so. To wrap it up. I used to have an addiction. And that addiction was brought on by the way I had to navigate bigotry, racism, homophobia, and transphobia. I think the thing that cured me I'm not cured. The thing that helps me stay away from Benzos now is that I found my voice. I learned not to care about who I lose. Because if I can lose you for standing up for myself, then I never, I never had you. I think that's the thing that kept me off of drugs. I think thinking about Sully on a daily basis kept me off of drugs. I think getting rid of toxic relationships kept me off drugs. I think not being afraid to be myself anymore kept me off drugs. And while it kept me off drugs, it has placed me squarely on your ass. I will not in any way, shape, or form take any more forms of racism, transphobia, bigotry, any of that shit in an area that I help build in any area to be specific. I'm going to go to that show on the 20th and I plan on being left alone. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to leave. I do not rub elbows with Nazis. I do not rub elbows with transphobes. I do not rub elbows with racists. I do not rub elbows with misogynists, sexists, objectifiers, colonizers. I don't rub elbows with those. And with that being said, welcome back, Trenos. 
My name is Kamrayeen Elin Maharet Jarrell, a.k.a. Trano. Say it with your whole chest. Or feel the wrath of the Gok 9mm to your dome. This has been Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that does not compromise. Okay, bye.